This week's parsha is Parsha's Kisavai. At the beginning of the parsha, we have a very critical parsha that many lessons are learned from. That's called the Parsha Sabikurim. The Bikurim were the first fruits that grew from a farmer's crop. In the Shiva Saminim, they were taken to Yerushalayim, to the Beis HaMikdash, and they were presented before Kayin, and there's an entire parsha that we're familiar with from the Haggadah Shopesach, Aram Yai and you make an entire declaration, and basically it's a statement of thanksgiving. The entire purpose of Bikurim is to give thanks to Rabbi Shalom, to acknowledge that he is the source of all success in our life, all good that comes is from him. This is such a critical parsha that there's in fact a medrash at the beginning of Horatius that says that one of those mitzvahs that the world was created because of, like we are familiar with a Rashi that says, Beratius is Bishvil, Yisrael Shnikoratius, Bishvil, Hatayra Shnikoratius, but one of the other things in that short list that Chazal say that the entire world was created for is the Parshas Habikurim. So there's a lot obviously to be gained from Parshat HaVikurim, and we've discussed in years past many lessons from this important um, act of bringing these first fruits. This year I saw something very interesting from the Panavich on the Parsha Bikurim, on the Pasuk that says in the middle of uh, this Parsha, He got it to Hayayim HaShem Lekecha Ki Vasi El HaAretz I am declaring today before Hashem, this is what the farmer says when he comes to the Beis HaMikdash with these fruits. He got it, I am declaring emphatically today before Hashem. That I have arrived in the land of Eretz Yisrael. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu has promised to give to us. And the Panavich Yerav asks a very simple question that we could learn this parasha a million times and probably would not necessarily think of, or maybe we would think that it's not even a question, but to the Panavich Yerav it is a question. What does this mean, kivasi? The statement is that I have arrived in the land of Eretz Yisrael. So what is this? This is only for Olim Chadashim, only for brand new people that make Aliyah, they get off their Nefesh B'Nefesh flight and they are the ones that are Mitzvah in the Parsha Bikurim because it seems from the Parsha that that's the only person that is qualified to make such a statement. He got it, I'm going to say today, because I have come to Eretz Yisrael. So let's say I'm a, a 10 generation Yerushalmi. I've been here for 100 years already. So that means that I would not be allowed to say this parsha Bikurim. I can't say Kivasi El Aretz that I have arrived in Eretz Yisrael. I didn't arrive in Eretz Yisrael. I never left Eretz Yisrael. I was born here. My father was born here. My grandfather was born here. What does it mean Kivasi El Aretz that I have come to Eretz Yisrael? Come to Eretz Yisrael. It's only the first generation of people that were farmers that came to Eretz Yisrael with Yeshua bin like. Who are we talking to over here? Who is able to make this statement, Kivasi Alaretz? 
I mean, the, the, the question really starts at the beginning of the parish already. When you come into the land that Hashem gives you and you're going to have the parish of Bikurim. Why is there this emphasis of kivasi, kisavai, when I come into the land that I have arrived at, when clearly the mitzvah is not just to people that have just come there to Israel, it doesn't matter how long you've been there to Israel, if you're a farmer and you have bikurim to bring, you bring them. And you say this statement, kivasi el So the Panavich once spoke in, in a, a very big uh, venue, a public, um, he was a very great orator, the Panamichirov. He gave many, many very well-known addresses to the public. There wasn't a single Maimed that he was not the Rosh Varishan Ochal Hamadabim. The Panamichirov was known to be uh, an outstanding speaker. His, his, his drushes always were very powerful and they always packed a punch and people would sit on the edge of their seats to hear the Panavichirov, not just in Eretz Yisrael, but he would go all around the world to raise money for Panavich. And he was in uh, Florida, and he was in Chicago, and he used to travel, Mamish, to all the countries and all the states and all the cities. Wherever there were Jews that were able to give money, he would go, and he would be very close to a lot of the Rabbanim around the world because of his, this exposure that he had to them. And there are many people that still today tell over stories from the Panavichirov because he, was, he would come and he would stay there and he would um, be Mahana, the, uh, the different seabirds that he visited with his Torah. So at one such a, an event, he asked this question and he says something that's, I think, amazing. It's funny, you know, sometimes you have to be in the right place to see a safer. I was, in, I was in a shul somewhere and, uh, you know, after davening, before davening, maybe it was during davening, I, um, you know, I took a sefer off the shelf and I randomly found this, uh, this var and I, I want to share it with you. But it's just interesting the way Hashkafa always has it that, and I'm sure you all know it in your own life, how sometimes you just, you happen to see something, or you happen to be somewhere and things just, uh, you know, just amazingly unfold before you. He says an amazing Kiddush Lepanovichirov. He says that even a Jew that lives in Eretz Yisrael for many, many years, he also has to have the ability to say kivasi. A Jew's feeling for Eretz Yisrael can never become old and can never become stale. A Jew's feeling for Eretz Yisrael must be fresh, it must be genuine, and it must be current. He says about himself, the Panavichirov, that every time I come back to Eretz Yisrael, even if it's just a short one-day trip, he says sometimes he went to, I don't know, one of the islands near Eretz Yisrael for some reason, and he comes back after a day or two, and his eyes are able to see Chidushim in Eretz Yisrael, and his heart begins to pump with the Chibas Haaretz, with the love of Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is not something that just should be amazing the first time that you're exposed to it. Chibas Haaretz is a feeling that every Jew must have on a daily basis. That ability to see Eretz Yisrael with all of its goodness, with all of its beauty, with all of its Kedusha, 
That's something that a farmer, even if he's lived in the land for many, many years, and he's done already 50 Bikurim, he still should be able to come to Yerushalayim, to the Makamah Mikdash, and say, Kivasi, Ella Eretz. I am here. This is fresh for me. Eretz Yisrael is not something that I'm used to. Eretz Yisrael is not something that I take for granted. Eretz Yisrael is something that I am magnetically attracted to at every moment. And it's always fresh in my eyes. It's never like, okay, been there, done that. Every single time that I come back to Eretz Yisrael, or every day that I wake up in Eretz Yisrael, a person, a Jew, should be able to say, Kivasi, that I'm only coming here today for the first time. There's a Rambam, and the Rambam is in Hilchas Malachim, Parakei Halacha Yud. The Rambam writes so beautifully, G'daylei HaChachamim, the greatest of sages, when they would enter into Eretz Yisrael, or maybe when they were leaving Eretz Yisrael, they would kiss the border of the land. I remember when I was a young boy, and the first time I came into Eretz Yisrael, in the olden days, now, I don't think anyone that's in this room, maybe one or two people, um, we're able to uh, remember this because now you already have a big fancy airport in Ben-Gurion and you, you come straight into the airport like in any other airport around the world. But back in the olden days, before they had all this, you know, this big fancy uh, uh, technologically advanced country, they basically, you, the plane landed on the tarmac. There would be, a, you know, steps would be brought to the plane and, um, and you'd walk off the plane and then there would be buses that bust, you know, maybe a hundred people to uh, the airport, to the terminal where you would get off and then you would, you know, wait for your bags. But I remember that my father used to always, whenever he used the few times that I went with him, um, he used to get down on the ground when he arrived in Israel and kiss the ground. He's not the only one. I know that there are other people also. But it comes from this Rambam. And it made a very profound impression on me. That when they came to Eretz Yisrael, they would be menashkin. They would kiss Tchumi Eretz Yisrael. And not only that, but they would also kiss the rocks. Umiskalgon alafara and they would roll around in the dirt of Eretz Yisrael as if to say that they are so attracted to every single particle of Eretz Yisrael. Every single dust piece in Eretz Yisrael. Every rock, every piece of grass is Kaddish. And that you have to have a chiba for Eretz Yisrael. You have to keep that in mind, keep that love of Eretz Yisrael in mind at all times. And this is true, Rabbi, saying not only for people that live in Eretz Yisrael, that they have to have this attitude of kivasi, which is very difficult probably. If you live in Eretz Yisrael, then you no doubt take it for granted. Like we all take everything for granted when we're used to it. Sometimes it's, you know, you have a much greater kivas if you're able to leave and then come back. But this concept of kivasi, 
also applies to the people that are not in Eretz Yisrael. The people that are in Chutz Laaretz, either temporarily or longer, they also have to maintain this Chibas Haaretz, this love of Eretz Yisrael, this ability to only see good in Eretz Yisrael. There's a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah and Aflamanam and Aleph that says, Siyain hi Dairish Einla. There's a Pasuk, this is Siyain Dairish Einla. There's no one that's seeking it. Mechlal Debaidrisha that shows that people have to be Dairish Eretz Yisrael. You have to be able to constantly see the good in Eretz Yisrael, seek out the matzah of Eretz Yisrael, what's doing in Eretz Yisrael. How is Eretz Yisrael? How are they? How are the people faring there? Whether it's in good times and bad times, in a sara, a person has to has to always be Dairish Eretz Yisrael. It has to be kivasi. It has to be on the forefront of our minds at all times. That's part of being a yid. Is to have this yearning, these gaguim for Eretz Yisrael, a special, unique relationship that a human being has with. With, with land. There's nothing like a Jew and his bond to Eretz Yisrael. And it's very important for us to always maintain that strong notion of how much we love Eretz Yisrael, how much we care about Eretz Yisrael, how we yearn to be there. In this very parsha Bikurim, it says that you're supposed to go to Yerushalayim to read the parasha Bikurim, to bring the Bikurim, but I really just fooled you because it doesn't say in the Torah that you should go to Yerushalayim. In fact, the Torah doesn't mention anywhere even the concept of Yerushalayim. The word Yerushalayim doesn't appear enough, it appears hundreds of times. But in the Torah itself, Yerushalayim does not appear. Why not? What does the Pasuk say over here? Where you're supposed to go. And also by Aliyah Laregel. It doesn't say go to your Shalayim. It should have just said go to your Shalayim. It says you're supposed to go You're supposed to go to the place that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has chosen to dwell. To be Masher Heshchina. That's where you're supposed to go. It's so cryptic, the Pasuk. It's so mysterious. Why the Torah doesn't just say exactly where it is? When it comes to our Grizim and our Evo, which is a one-shot deal, they have the Brachas and the Kolos at one time in Jewish history, it says exactly where to find our Grizim and our Evo. And other places also, it tells us exact destinations, locations. You could plot exactly where the Jews were because it gives us the entire map but when it comes to your Shalayim, when it comes to being a Rego, when it comes to bringing the Bikurim, the Pasuk so strangely doesn't say it's your Shalayim. It says you're supposed to go you're supposed to go to the place that Kedush Baruch Hu chose to be Master Shina. Very strange. The Maral had a brother and his brother wrote a sefer called Sefer Achayim. And the Sefer Achayim says an absolutely beautiful vart on why this is. 
that the Torah just doesn't mention the word Yerushalayim. Say a place. Tell us where it is. What are you telling me these, these uh, waxing poetic about the Makkah Mashiachah Hashem? Like, oh, tell me, on the, put it on the table. Where is it? Imagine you go, uh, you know, you go and you ask somebody, uh, you know, uh, for, to get, you know, you want to go to a certain, uh, to a restaurant. So, you know, instead of him telling you, okay, it's on 150th or that, he's going to say, oh, that restaurant is the place that everybody loves to eat at. And like, I don't care. Just tell me where, tell me where to go. Don't, don't give me this whole speech. I want to just know where to go. The Maral's brother says this. He says, because Yerushalayim is not really a place. Yerushalayim is a place in our heart. If you think that Yerushalayim is just merely a city, a piece of real estate, a capital, a place that the embassy should be moved to, shouldn't be moved to, if that's what Yerushalayim is to you, then it's not Yerushalayim. That's not the point of Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim, when I think of Yerushalayim, it's not a place in a real world sense. It's a metaphysical place. It's a place, when I think of Yerushalayim, I have to think of Yerushalayim as a place that the Rabbi Shalom is Master Shechina. It's a spiritual place in the universe. It's not a physical place. Obviously, it is a physical place as well. But if you, it's just a physical place. If it's just, okay, I've got to do the mitzvah, I've got to go to Yerushalayim, then I'm going to go back to my home in Haifa, then you miss the whole point of what Yerushalayim is. Yerushalayim is in our heart. Yerushalayim is in our minds. Yerushalayim is a place that needs drisha. Yerushalayim is seeing. Yerushalayim is a concept. And if a person is able to understand that, then he could go and do the mitzvah Leila Regal, he could do the mitzvah of Bikurim, because he gets the fact that I'm going not to a place, I'm going to a Makrim Asher Yivcha Hashem Shakin I'm going to the Rabbi Nishalim. I'm going to be Mistabek in the Shechina. That's your Shalayim. If your Shalayim needs a place, if it needs a flag, if it needs a title, it's not your Shalayim. It's specifically this location in our minds, in our hearts, that Klai Yisrael has been able to daven towards and to yearn for since we were banished from Eretz Yisrael so many thousands of years ago. Yerushalayim is not a place. Yerushalayim is a makam Hashem It's not a city. It's, a, it's an idea. It's a concept. It's a love. It's a passion that a Jew has in his heart to come close to the Rabbeinu Shalom. And Yerushalayim is that. I'm coming back. I have you in mind. It's fresh for me. I love you, Hashem. This is the land that I could get close to you. And only when a Jew is able to have that is he able to really do the Parsha Bikurim properly. There were great poets that Kal Yisrael had. I've spoken before about how I, uh, I've written several coffee table books for Art Scroll. And one of the books that I wrote for them, but you can't find it in Sarm stores because it was never published, was a book called Great Jewish Poetry. And I thought it would be a, you know, a runaway bestseller. I thought that everybody would, I, 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 but I'm stupid. I, 
what I do is I, I write the book first and then I, and then I present it to art school after I finish the whole project. P- normal people would just write like a, you know, like a sample chapter and a table of contents and stuff, and then you send it to art school and have them, you know, asking whether they want it or not. But me, I just think I, you know, I thought it was such a great idea. I saw it already on the shelf, you know, along with the other ones. So I, I saw great Jewish poetry. And I went and I spent a very long time gathering the most beautiful poems by Rishainim, by Achreinim, by Rosh Hashivas. Unbelievable stuff. From, you know, from the, from the Ramban to the Rambam to Kiveger to uh, people that you wouldn't think. The Stipler wrote poetry, the Chazanish wrote poetry, the Briskorov wrote poetry. And I gathered painstakingly every poem that I found and I translated it into rhyming English. And I thought it would be like, I thought people would chalish for this. But I got a beautiful letter, a Dear John letter from, from Rabbi Zlatowicz, Zechrenu Levracha, who was just nifter, and he couldn't be nicer. He was always a gentleman. He really was. Like, he always treated me professionally, and he, he had a certain pain and a, and a love. Um, but, you know, he said that uh, it's a beautiful safer, and it's, uh, and it's an amazing contribution, but unfortunately... The kala is too shiny, wrote. He said, the kala is too beautiful. Sometimes it's not. It's so beautiful that uh, you know that no one's going to buy it. There's no market for this. No one, no one, You know, it's uh, people that appreciate it will go and buy it. But ultimately, we have to. You know, we live in a world of uh, you know of lamaisa, and we have to. We can only publish a book that people are actually going to buy. And there's no interest in poetry. I'm sorry. Maybe you're interested. Maybe I'm in, but no one else is interested in it. Anyway, so I have, uh, if anyone wants it, I have a couple of hundred pages of poetry up in my office, and, uh, but it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, someday this book should be definitely published, because it's, uh, it, it's an amazing, if anyone in Torah anytime or something is, uh, you know, is interested, let me know, write me an email, or bamberger at gmail.com. Um, but, um, so one of the, one of the you know, most of the poems nobody saw, but there's one famous poem that I think everybody in the room knows at least the first line of. And that's a poem by Rabbi Yudha Levi. Yudha Levi was one of the great Rishainim, and he wrote a very well-known poem, Libi b'Mizrach v'ani b'Saif Marav. My heart is in Mizrach, and I'm b'Saif Marav. He lived in Spain, Far from Eretz Yisrael at the time. Today it's a plane ride away, but then it was a big trip to get there. And he yearned for Eretz Yisrael with such passion, with such a broken heart. All he did all day was dream about going into Eretz Yisrael. He was living in Spain during the golden era of Spanish Jewry. He wasn't living in, in a hovel, you know, in a horrible place. And like some Jews throughout more recent history were dying to get to Eretz Yisrael because their life was so awful in, in Poland and in, uh, in, in, in Europe and wherever else. He lived in the Baruma Shalom, Ruda Levi lived very well. He says, Eich etama esasher How can I even taste what I'm eating? And how could it be sweet to me when I'm not in Eretz Yisrael? Eich how am I able to fulfill my pledges? What I promise you, the Rabbi Shalom. Ba'ait Siyain Bachevel, when Siyain is locked up in fetters. Vani Bekevel Arev, and I 
am in chains of Arabia. I'm locked up in, in, in an Arab country, in a Muslim country, in Spain, and how could I even enjoy my life? He said, it would be so much more geschmack for me, it would be so easy for me to surrender and give up all of the luxuries that I'm having in Spain. It would be so much better for me to see, to behold the dirt of the destroyed Beis HaMikdash in Eretz Yisrael that would be so much better, so optimal for me, more than living here in the lap of luxury in Spain. Amazing. Rabbi Yudalevi was saying, was speaking on behalf of what a Jew is supposed to feel in Golos. If a Jew doesn't have that feeling, that means that we have to get back to Eretz Yisrael. If a Jew doesn't feel that I have a fresh excited opinion of Eretz Yisrael, that I am yearning for Eretz Yisrael. If I don't feel that my life is missing something by not being in Eretz Yisrael, then we have a problem. There's something sick about our neshama. Because a Jew naturally has to feel that way. The problem is that when, we, when we're in Eretz Yisrael, I think I speak on behalf of everyone that's been learning in Eretz Yisrael a year or two and more, or lived in Eretz Yisrael, when you're there, you love it. And you want to be there. You can't, you know, it's amazing. I remember like so many times I, I go back to Arsenal. I want to go to the same places that I used to walk around the Bayi Bagan. There was a park behind the yeshiva that I learned in, in Kaltaira. And it had like certain flowers that had a certain smell. And whenever I go to Arsenal, I want to just go back to that park and smell those. It's just there's something about Eretz Yisrael, the rocks of Eretz Yisrael, the Mekayimah Shakudayshim, but the... Just the whole field, the birds in Eretz Yisrael are different, and the, the sky is different, and the, the nights are different, and the Torah is different, the davening is different. It's just a, it's just a place that you wanna, that you know is special, and when you're there, you, you breathe it in, and you take it in, and you absorb it, but then you come back to America for good reasons, for very good reasons, and with the best of intentions, and it's the right thing. But sometimes we stay here and we stay here and we stay here and those dreams of going back to Eretz Yisrael very often become replaced with the realities of life or maybe with the comforts of life. And that should not be what happens to us. Because it has to be kivasi. It has to be in the Makam HaShivchar. That place of Yerushalayim can't be just another opportunity where to live. I have different jobs. I can live in Passaic, Clifton, or it's Israel. Which one should I do? It has to be Yerushalayim is not a place. Eretz Yisrael is not just a, 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 another piece of real estate on the map. Eretz Yisrael is a Makamash Yivkar Shem Echo. It has to have that Kedusha in our minds and our hearts to feel that this is what we're yearning for. A Jew can live outside of Eretz Yisrael, but Eretz Yisrael can never live outside of a Jew. It's a good quote. Remind me to write that down. Um, I wanted to share with you a few stories about Gedalim and their attitude towards Eretz Yisrael, just to get a feel for 
like a more contemporary Rudal Levi, Rav Shraga Feilel I wonder how many people know who that is today. If you don't know who that is, then you have a lot of homework to do. And there's a book in the library, a biography about him, and I suggest you read it. Because Rav Shraga Feilel was a person that I think all of us in this room were affected by. Now, he was Nifter in 1948. It's a long time ago, so how are we affected by him? Because Rav Shaga was the architect of Taira in America. And if anyone has been to any day school throughout the entire country, from, she- from sea to shining sea, you were, there is probably a connection between that school that you were in and the Torah Masera Network, which was founded by Rav Shaga Feivel together with Rav Aaron Kautler and a few ones, but it was really Rav Shaga Feivel that was the, that spearheaded Torah in America. And he went from community to community in any sizable community, planted seeds of Torah, small yeshivas here, small yeshivas there, Beis Yaakov's here, Beis Yaakov's there, and they flourished over time. Nirv was also the Manal of Tervadas. He was a tremendous Tamachacham. He was a person that didn't want to be called Rabbi Menlowitz. He insisted on, beca- on being called Mister. He was a very, he was very Tsanua. He didn't want any covet. He didn't want to take any credit. He didn't want to be considered a Rosh Hashiva, even though he was a guy in learning. So he used to, be, he used to insist on being called Mister Menlowitz. And I think the Panovich Rav was the one that coined the, the term that instead of being called Mr. Menlowitz, he should be called Nister Menlowitz because he was a Nister. He was a person that was completely hidden. He didn't want any covet, but he was a person that deserved all the covet in the world because he literally founded, he was the founding father of Tyre in America. And he had a profound Chivas Haaretz this concept of loving Eretz Yisrael, of, of yearning for Eretz Yisrael, was, was his. You know, there's a halacha that we're familiar with that, or maybe we're not, but we should be, that and many people are naive this, that before they bench, they take the knives off the table. Why do they take the knives off the table? Because there was a fear that maybe when you're saying Uvenei Yerushalayim in benching, maybe when you're discussing, when you're, when you're speaking about Yerushalayim throughout benching, it appears, so maybe you're, you're going to be so depressed and you're going to feel so upset and so anguished over the fact that we don't have Yerushalayim, we don't have a Beis HaMikdash, and when we say Uvenei Yerushalayim, rebuild Yerushalayim, you might just take that knife and stab your heart in your mourning over your Shalayim. Could you imagine such a thing? Could you imagine a person being so upset about your Shalayim that he should take a knife and stab himself over your Shalayim? Seems insane. So I'll tell you a Maisa, and you'll see how Halacha could really apply in a certain way with her Shagafayla Mendelovitz. It was during 1948 when the Arabs were, after the, the state was declared, and of course, right after they declared the state, the Arabs immediately attacked. And they were quite a formidable force. 
and Yerushalayim was on the brink of falling, and many other places, and word was slowly, we didn't have you know, instant uh, emails and, and, and internet, and think news came much slower, but trickles of news came to Rav Shagafaibo, and he was saying, Uvenei Yerushalayim, and he was crying over what would be with Yerushalayim, and he was crying and he was crying and crying until he had a massive heart attack. So concerned was he over the fate of Yerushalayim that he had a massive heart attack which led ultimately to his death. Several days or weeks later, he died of that, of that broken heart over Yerushalayim. That's how concerned he was. You have to be Dairish Yerushalayim because Yerushalayim is not a city. Yerushalayim is a place in our heart. Yerushalayim is a reality in every Jew, wherever he is in the world. You live with Yerushalayim. Rav Gifter, Rav Mordechai Gifter was the Talzer Shiva, and he had a, an unbelievable love for Eretz Yisrael. Everybody knows that. And he had an opportunity to, at one point when he was Rashiva and Tal's in Cleveland, they decided they were going to open up a branch of the yeshiva in a new city called Tel Stone, near Shalayim, right outside of Yerushalayim. And many of you know it from the, the Bachem that we're Zaycha to learn in Yishrei and, uh, and Nevei. Tel Stone is uh, today, it's growing, and Baruch Hashem, it's a very popular city to move to. It was founded by the builders of this, this new yeshiva, this new branch of Tells, and Rav Gifter went to Eretz Yisrael from Cleveland and to found this yeshiva. And those years, or that period of time that he was in, in Eretz Yisrael, that was the best period of time in his life. He had a, such a special love for Eretz Yisrael. And there are so many stories that are told about how how happy he was and how his neshama was so swept up in the ecstasy of being able to live daily in Eretz Yisrael and how he, he had Titian with the Bacharim they would sing and they would take walks throughout Eretz Yisrael every day he encouraged the Bacharim to take 20 minute walks just to be able to see the beauty of Eretz Yisrael and so that they could inhale the air of Eretz Yisrael, Abir Darad Yisrael. And one day he was taking a walk and he heard a strange thing. He heard like a song. He heard a song that was being sung, like a beautiful song that Gifter heard. And he couldn't understand. He was like looking high and low. Where is this song coming from? And then he realized that it was he himself that was singing the song. He didn't realize it, but there was like a part of him that was so happy to be in Eretz Yisrael that it was he who was singing the song from a, from a different place. And every flower that he saw, he learned lessons from. There was a certain flower called the Rakefet, and it's an indigenous flower. It only grows in Eretz Yisrael and it has many colors to it, and 
it sits on a slim and delicate stem. And Rav Gifter used to point out to his Talmidim the anivas of this flower, how beautiful it is, one of the most beautiful flowers you could find, but yet it like it's so it, it, it bends over so humbly. And how you can learn Musr from every flower in Eretz Yisrael. Somebody gave him later, once he moved back to Cleveland, a framed picture of that rakefet, and he used to treasure that and keep it in his break front. He would, on Shabbos, he would sing and have tears of dvekos, and he would say how bright the firmament was in Eretz Yisrael. He says there are places in Eretz Yisrael that are so bright that you can learn Torah by the moonlight. That's how bright the moon is in Eretz Yisrael. And the hardest decision that he had to make, but it wasn't really made by him, it was a decision that was made for him, which also shows the godless of Gifter, was that when the Rosh Hashiva of Tells in Cleveland was Nifter, they needed Rav Gifter to come back. And Rav Gifter basically, he, there was, it was like tearing, tearing a, a baby from his mother. He didn't want to leave Eretz Yisrael. But the Gedele Eretz Yisrael, primarily I believe the stipler who he was very close with, told him that you have to leave Eretz Yisrael, you have to go back and lead the yeshiva of Tells. They need you there in America and they need you in Tells. And, it was the last thing in the world that he wanted to do at that time. He wanted to stay in Eretz Yisrael and Steig and, and have this Talmidim and, and continue building this, this magnificent yeshiva in, in Telstone. But he had complete his spotless to G'dayla Yisrael, completely subjugated himself to the opinion of G'dayla and he left Eretz Yisrael. But he didn't go back to his house. When he went back to Cleveland, he had a house there. He refused to go back to the house. Instead, he stayed in an apartment, like in the dormitories on campus, I believe, of Tells, because he didn't want to get comfortable again in America. He wanted to always remember how near and dear Eretz Yisrael was to him. He didn't want to come back to the, the beauty and the, the comfort of, of America. He wanted to keep himself a little bit uncomfortable so that he reminds himself always of how important a place Eretz Yisrael is to him. These aren't just the sentiments of G'dayla Yisrael. I wanted to share with you a, uh, an email that a, a Talmud of mine sent me a couple of weeks ago. And um, I think it really sums up beautifully how he feels and how we should all really feel. During some of the kinnis that discussed Eretz Yisrael, he was talking about Tishabov. During some of the kinnis that discussed Eretz Yisrael and its desolation and destruction, I was hit with even with an even more powerful emotion than before. Speaking as someone who has tremendous love for Eretz Yisrael, hearing and reading about its destruction. I cannot begin to express my sadness. I was thinking of my deep and profound love for the place just this past Shabbos. And whenever I do, it torments my conscience. I get hit with an intense wave of sadness. And dare I say depression every time I think of Eretz Yisrael and me not being there. The more I am not there, the sadder I become. 
since I left, close to three years ago, my heart and soul aches every time I think about Yisrael and longs to return there. It's like dying of thirst or hunger and yet being unable to quench that thirst or alleviate that hunger. I have never been married yet, but every time I am there, it's like seeing my long-lost love return to me. When I visited Eretz Yisrael last winter break, the powerful negative emotions intensified tenfold into positive ones. I was hit with an intense, surreal, and awestruck feeling of happiness and contentment that disappeared as soon as I left. For those who have ever experienced homesickness, that is exactly how I feel whenever I am not in Eretz Yisrael. It's like being in love with someone that you can't even see or speak to when you're apart. Poetry. That's the way we should all feel. And if we don't feel that way, then there's something that, that became sick in our neshama. Because we got brainwashed with the, as, as, as Rabbi Huda Levi puts it, the the cult of Sarad. All the great stuff about Sarad, Spain, or the modern day Spain, which is where we live, all of the sushi places, and all of the, the eateries, and all of the sports, and all of the, the, the this and the that, all the gashmias, the cars, and the homes, and the, and the clothing, and all those things that we become addicted to, it saps our neshama of these sentiments, it makes us unable to remember those feelings of Libi B'Mizrach and Nibisayf Marev. We don't, we, we stop feeling that way. And when we stop feeling that way, that's a problem. It doesn't mean to say that we all have to live in Eretz Yisrael today because we're all here for, for a mission. And that mission is a sacred mission and that mission has to be accomplished and accomplished well. But the drisha, the yearning, the gaguim for Eretz Yisrael, that must never leave us. And it must drive us and motivate us to plan to return to Eretz Yisrael in one form or another. And if not, then that means that there's something wrong with us. There's something lacking in our neshama. We've caught the flu of, of, of Gullus. And that's a horrible, horrible flu to catch. I want to end with a, a letter that the Chavetz Chaim wrote to a soldier. There was a soldier that was stationed somewhere in a very uh, remote place. And he was drafted into the Polish army. He writes a letter to the Chavetz Chaim and says that I'm in a place, some Yehupitz place, that you know there's no Jews. I don't have any Jewish soldiers in my battalion there's no kosher food, there's no svarim, there's no minyanim, there's nothing. Mom is living in, 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 in gullus inside of a gullus. And I don't know what to do. I want to daven, I want to learn, I want to get close to Rabbi Yishayim, but I, I'm mamish in a place that has nothing. And he asked the Chavitz Chaim, how do I survive as a Jew in this forsaken place? A very basic question. And the Chavetz Chaim wrote the following. I'm going to read it. it is if it is impossible for you to keep Shabbos, 
kashras or to keep mitzvahs. Don't be discouraged. There is one thing you can and must do. Whenever you have a free moment, speak to Hashem. And whenever you speak to Hashem, face east. Why face east? Because you will be directing your thoughts to Yerushalayim. In doing so, you will reunite yourself with the Jewish people and with Hashem. In fact, and this is the punchline, whenever a Jew faces Yerushalayim in prayer, he or she is actually in Yerushalayim. When a person is able to remember Yerushalayim, whether it's on a daily basis when we speak in Davening, Yerushalayim, Erechav, Racham, Hashav, whether it's in Benjamin when we say Uvenei Yerushalayim, whether it's under a chuppah, when you hear the song of a Meshachet being sung, all of these moments in life when you are being able, when you are reminded of Eretz Yisrael, of Yerushalayim, you should understand that when you're thinking about Yerushalayim, when you're longing for Yerushalayim, in a certain sense, on a certain plane, you're in Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim, like I said before, is not a place. Yerushalayim is a, a concept. It's a, it's a spiritual utopia that we can attach ourselves to just by thinking of. It's not a place, it's not a location, it's not even a destination. It's a It's a place that's godly, it's a place that's spiritual. It's a place that you can get closer to the Rabbani Shalom there than anywhere else in the world. But, even when we are here, very far away from Yerushalayim, the city, if we're thinking about Yerushalayim, if we're davening towards Yerushalayim, and our thoughts and our prayers are there, then in a certain sense, we are there as well. It's just a reminder of, I think, something that we all know already. You didn't need a schmooze to remind you of your personal connection to Eretz Yisrael, to Yerushalayim. But it's something that's good to remind ourselves of. of because... I will tell you that the further away you get from being able to learn in Eretz Yisrael, live in Eretz Yisrael, it's harder and harder and harder to keep that flame alive of wanting to go back, of wanting to live there, of wanting to return. And so when you're young and you still are able to remember how great it was, the beauty of the, of the, the learning there, the Abira Dara the Yisrael, which is Machim, the Chevra there, the Rabbanim there, the Gedaleir Yisrael there. And how everything is so holy there. The streets are full of holiness. And the people are full of holiness. Even the Rekhanim Sheba are holy. I, you know, you take taxi, taxis to different places and the taxi driver is Halabai, I should be on Yom Kippur as holy as a, as a Chiloni taxi driver. It's a different country. It's a different world. Remember, I was in a taxi. I was telling him a story, and I thought it was like a, I thought it would reflect well on me, you know, to tell him the story. And he started giving me musar shmuz about, you know, what I did wrong in the story. It's a chiloni taxi driver. 
And he was 100% right. And I came back to America and I fixed whatever it was that he told me to do. But it's a different world. And we forget about it because we, we get caught in the trap of America and Gullus and, and, and life and marriage and kids and family and school and work. And it's all good, but it has to have an impact in us. Yerushalayim has to always be with us. Not just on Tisha B'Av one day a year, not Tisha B'Av the Kamas. Every single day we have to remember when we say Yerushalayim, 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 Yerushalayim. These are concepts that we have to internalize and live with. And the more that we're able to be Dairish Tzion, the more Tzion will be Dairish us. And the more quickly and hastily Mashiach will come and Taka bring us back to our homeland, to Shalayim, to Tzion, Bimheir, Bihameinu, Amin, Amin.